Lord, we just come before you this morning and we say thank you so much for allowing us to all be here. God, we know that there are no accidents, but only divine appointments and it's up to you and your master plan. And we just say thank you for letting us spend time here, an hour or two, to receive what you want to give us, Lord, and to be able to meet new friends, to encourage others, to hear the word of God and be changed and transformed and empowered through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that when we are doing whatever we're doing for the rest of the week, Lord, that we would be re-energized, refocused, re-empowered to do so. Give us your love. Give us your heart today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. My name is Max. Uh, for those of you uh, who are here, maybe for the first time, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are uh, excited to be in week two of our new sermon series. You'll get through this, like Pastor Mark said. Uh, we have nine small groups, so if you've never joined a small group, I just want to encourage you, hey, check it out, you know what, uh, there, there's a one pretty much on every day of the week, you can find one, maybe close to your place, and uh, just take a step of faith, sign up, and, and you can talk to somebody out there, it's so much fun uh, to go through uh, different series together, learn more together. Um, you know, a few weeks ago we started it. Um, our first week, and then last week was Mother's Day, so we took a little break, and here we're back with week two. But um, two weeks ago, Dave gave a great sermon about Joseph. Remember, he talked about the life of Joseph, one of our very favorite stories. And uh, he talked about the pit that Joseph got thrown into by his brothers and how God used it. What, God, what the enemy meant for evil, God used it for good. And so we are... Encouraged to see God always uses those things for our benefit, for our good. And today we're going to continue on um, where we're going to see how God uses life's hardest circumstances, our toughest trials, our times of trouble, to equip us to grow us closer to Him and uses it for His glory. So, um, you know, we can learn a lot from the Bible. We learn about who God is, first and foremost. And we also learn about who we are in comparison to God. And um, we also learn about direction, how to live the Christian life, right? And one of the best things I love about scriptures is the Bible teaches us what to do when times get rough, when life is difficult, because life is difficult. And so today we're going to see what the Bible says about what we can do in times of trouble. And that's the sermon uh, uh, that's the topic name of the sermon today, Times of Trouble. And we've all experienced times of trouble, haven't we? Sometimes there, some kind of troubles are minor. You can think of a minor trouble. Uh, this morning, I know John Ford, are you here? Uh, he actually, I think he's coming to second service. He's setting up the tent and he sliced his finger, setting up the tent. And then the tent broke to top it off. And... Uh, uh, you know, I think of um, times that I've been in minor trouble, like, for example, I would classify like a flat tire as a minor trouble, and how many of you here have had a flat tire before, right? Okay, yeah, it's a pretty small trouble. And, you know, has anybody ever or never fixed a flat tire? Come on, raise your hand. Be Okay, you can uh, keep them up, I want to see. Okay, you've never fixed a flat tire. That's interesting, okay. 
And、uh, you should try it. Just, just take it, jack it up. You got a spare in the bag. It's fun. It can take you an hour to see if you can do it. Because you never know. You might be on the side of the road stranded and you've got to be able to do it. So go practice.、Um, I remember buying a,、uh, I was going to college in Arizona and I bought a Hyundai. It's a used Hyundai. And I was so excited, driving home, stereo. Okay, what the channels, the scene. It was like a tape deck at that time. Tape, all right. And all of a sudden, doo, 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 doo. the night of you know, buying that used car. And I'm there in the dark. I didn't even know if they had a spare or a jack. I'm looking through. They did, thankfully. And so that was a lot of fun. And then、uh, you go to the you know, more serious trouble, right?、Uh, more serious trouble we would think of maybe as like a child's illness. And for those of us who are par- parents, we know our daughter Miley has been sick recently. It's so hard to see our children sick. Um, or an injury. I remember when I was 13 years old, I was surfing in Waikiki and jumped off my surfboard and it was really shallow and head planted right into the reef. 35 stitches. And I'm running out past the,、uh, life, to the lifeguard on people on the beach and literally blood was shooting out of my head. Is that a great image? Just shooting. <laughs> and、uh, yeah, the look on people's faces looked like Joanne's face. <laughs> So、um, that's more serious trouble.、Um, but then we get to the kind of trouble that's not minor or serious.、Uh, we get to the kind of trouble that's total devastation. Total devastation. The kind of trouble that we don't even like to think about or contemplate. We don't like to go there, right? So、uh, unfortunately, we know this trouble all too well. Sometime in our lives, we've probably confronted or been face to face with this kind of trouble and been totally, totally devastated. It's a.、Um, in, I just recently watched a story about a family. They had three beautiful young girls, and then they, you know, they're praying, come on, boy, come on. And then you know, they got their, their baby boy. And so、uh, they. They had a great family, a lot of outdoor activities, and、um, they had an accident. And the young boy died. He was just four years old, died in the accident. And this family was recalling、um, how devastated they were. Of course, this is a parent's and a family's worst nightmare. You know, nothing I would Imagine it's worse than losing your own child. I could not think about it. I mean, just, I don't know what we would do or how anybody would be able to cope. But this family was a Christian family. And, you know, they're, through their tears and their sadness, they're talking about hope. Hope that they're going to see their son again one day. Hope that there's going to be. A reason, a purpose in all of this. Hope that Christ is with them and will get them through this. And for me, it was, so, it was so sad. But at the same time, it was so inspiring to see how they reacted. And a number of phrases stuck out to me from their story, but one of them really did. They said, When we were at our lowest, When we were in the pit, like Joseph, we found out that Jesus was there with us. Isn't that awesome? 
Jesus was there with them. So have you ever experienced this kind of trouble? You know, total devastation? Where you're, you're just in shock. Your world's spinning. You don't know which way is up, which way is down. Those kind of circumstances make you question everything that you've ever believed. Questioning the goodness or even the existence of God. The bad news is that, unfortunately, in this life, all of us come face to face with this kind of trouble. And sometimes, more often than not, I think, more than on one occasion, we'll go through this in our lives. So this morning, I want to encourage you, I want to equip you, so that we know how we're prepared for these kinds of trouble. The good news is that when we're in these times, in our darkest days, that we're going to be able to say, you know what, Jesus? You're there with me too. Amen? So how do we make it through times of trouble? Number one, you can write this in your bulletin. In the bulletin notes, uh, we've printed out a new half sheet for you. It's a yellow sheet in there. Number one, know that trouble will come. Know that trouble will come. Jesus said in John chapter 16, 33, he said, In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So it's not a matter of if trouble will come, but it's a matter of when trouble will come. And we know theologically what happened, Adam and Eve sinned. And because Adam and Eve sinned, we're guaranteed. That's why Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. We're guaranteed to live with the effects of sin. Talk about total devastation. Because they sin, sin has infected the whole world, including you and I. We do things, we say things, we think things that we don't want to do, that we shouldn't do. That's not total perfection. Because heaven's not a good place. Heaven's a perfect place. And if you're not perfect, you can't make it there. Total devastation in this lifetime. We're experiencing challenges, difficulties, tragedy and a lot of times we say oh thanks a lot Adam thanks a lot Eve right replace yourself back there you do exactly the same thing all men have sinned all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God well just because we know this world has been infected by sin do we walk around and at every corner we say uh, you know what trouble is just going to happen here, right? This, it's all going to be messed up if I do this. Or we become pessimists about people. Ah, they're just, I know how they're going to be. Just have a totally pessimistic attitude to, about people or about life. No, that's not it. It simply means that you have a biblical understanding of how to view the world you have the right paradigm in, how, in which to view the world that you understand where we're coming from. 
Know that trouble will come. When you do that, it's going to prepare you for when it does. That's leading us to our next point. Number two, you can write in your bulletin, when trouble comes, choose to praise God. When trouble comes, choose to praise God. You know, you might be thinking, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. You saying, when trouble comes, choose to praise God? Wait, I think you're, you got it wrong there, Max. I think you're meaning to say, you know, um, uh, when good things happen to you, isn't that when? That, that's when you start to praise God? You put, when trouble comes. No, if you want to be somebody who can make it through when trouble comes, you have to learn to be somebody, when it does come, to choose to praise God. I have a friend, her name is Millie Ramsey. Vanessa and I have known Millie for a long time. She's an elderly woman, and um, she's uh, in her 90s now. And she taught me a lot about God. She, she really, uh, when I first came to know the Lord, who God is, and she would uh, pray for us, and it was just awesome. And uh, she's a woman of faith. Well, she, when I first got saved, she told us a story. This is, must be 30 years now. Millie, she, at that time, she was a lot younger. Um, she's, I think she, she, still, she still drives, I think. Anyway, um, but at that time, she got into an accident. And it wasn't her fault, but it was an accident where a motorcyclist was killed. So she sat behind the wheel, totally in shock after there was that accident, not knowing what to do, not knowing she should get out, stay in the car. I didn't even know if they had cell phones back then. She just didn't know what to do. But then she remembered the scripture, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks to God. Praise God. And she said it didn't feel normal or natural. She was in shock. But she started praising God. She started thanking God. And I remember hearing that thinking, what is wrong with her? Why would you thank God for that? It almost seems improper or disrespectful. But God wants us to thank Him. He wants us to praise Him when trouble comes. And when we can do that, it flips the switch. You know, Millie, she, she was found a no wrongdoing for the accident. And unfortunately, that person passed away. But she has to live with that. She thinks about it. You know, but because she chose to praise God and she hasn't stopped, she's continuing to praise God in all circumstances. You know, it's made a huge difference. But it's made a difference to God, most of all. She doesn't know why it happened to that person, to her. It was an accident. But she was praising God. See, the book of Job, I love the book of Job. And if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. It's right about, just about in the middle of your Bible. The book of Job is one of the most interesting books in all of the Bible. Uh, theologians believe that the book of Job was probably the first book written. Of all of scripture, of all the 66 books, Job is probably the first. And you're thinking, why is it in the middle? I don't know. Okay? Should be at the first, before Genesis, right? No, but it's in the middle. They just stuck it in there. But you know what? The book of Job will love it. It's talking about the origins of suffering. Why is there suffering in the world? 
Why do bad things happen to good people? Aren't those life's most primary questions, questions that we all ask? And isn't it cool that God decided, first thing I'm going to write, I know these guys are going to wonder about suffering. They're going to wonder about why bad things happen to good people. Because this is what happens to everybody. No one is immune from this. And I'm going to address it right off the bat. I love that. Well, uh, we can uh, go ahead and open up to chapter... I'm just going to read chapters 1 and 2. In the land of Uz, great name for a city, Uz, or is it Uz? Is that where Uzo comes from? Okay, Uz, I looked it up. It's like southern Jordan slash southern Israel, almost the border of Egypt. Okay, that's around the area where... Job was. Okay, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. This man, he feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. How many is that all together? Ten, right? Seven sons, three daughters. Okay. The numbers are important in, in this story. God makes it a point to he had seven sons, three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep. Oh, this guy is rich. 3,000 camels. 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes and they would invite three sisters to eat and drink with them. Their, their three sisters. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Job is an awesome guy, isn't he? He's the most righteous guy in all of the East. He even makes atonement for his kids. And they're not going to probably do it. I'll do it for them. I'm gonna, just going to set them up. God had really, really, really blessed him. Yeah, this guy is awesome. Okay, Job's first test. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? This is getting a little bit different now. You start to see a dialogue between God and Satan. Okay, we're moving forward. Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Isn't that the devil? He still does that to this day. Prowling around, roaming around like a lion, looking to see whom he can devour. Okay? Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Is something, a light bulb going off in your head like, wait a minute, warning sign, why would God even bring it up? Okay, that's kind of, you got to ask yourself these questions, right? Have you considered my servant Job? He's awesome, he loves me. Verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then. What? Everything he has is in your hands. But, the man, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13. One day... When Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. 
And the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came in and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them. And they're dead. And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And fell to the ground in worship. And said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked will I depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be Praised. Praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Go ahead and read chapter 2. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Does this sound familiar? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Verse 4, Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give you all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God. And die. Verse 10. He replied. You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God. And not trouble. And all this. Job did not sin. In what he said. When Job's three friends. Eliphaz the Timonite. Bildad the Shuite. Zophar the Namathanite heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him and began to weep out loud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their own heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was was what a story what a story hard to make sense of I think a lot more questions than you have answers come out of that intriguing story 
What stands out to me though is verse 21 in chapter 1. Verse 21, chapter 1. You see the response of Job and you can hardly believe it. It says, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked will I depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And you know the song that we were singing earlier, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. That comes exactly from the book of Job. So inspired by the book of Job. How could Job have such a reaction? How could somebody who has lost everything, all of their wealth, their whole family, in one day, how could he react like that? You know, his wife, because sometimes I hear the bad rap, right? Just curse God and die. One can hardly blame her for saying that. How could you, Job, want to continue to worship God? Be a man full of integrity. How could you want to worship that kind of a God? How could Job, Job do such a thing? He trusted that God was in control. And that's our third point. You want to write this in your bulletin. Trust in God's sovereignty. How do you make it through times of trouble? Trust in God's sovereignty. So even though we go through hard times in this life, the Bible says that we can trust that God is in control. This is called the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. We're loved by God. We can always remember that, first and foremost. We're important to God. Our lives matter. But we must always remember that we are God's creation with a small C. And He is our creator with a big C. It's a big difference there. Genesis 2, 7, talking about this creation story, says, Then the Lord God formed a man. The Lord God formed a man of dust, of the ground, and breathed life into his nostrils, and the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The Hebrew word there when it says dust is better translated, it's the word afar, it's better translated as clay or earth rather than dust. So Adam was the first like man made of clay. I like that image of clay. Right? I almost think of back in the days of the pottery classes that we took. Right? Or kids play with the play-doh, right? Clay man. God formed us out of clay and breathed breath into us, causing us to become alive. Isaiah 64, 8 says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter, the work of your hand. We are all the work of your hand. So you start to see this image of a potter forming something, mashing it up, Getting it just right, looking at it, studying it for His purposes, for His good pleasure. See, we are God's workmanship like clay in the master potter's hands. 
waiting to become something beautiful. All for God's incredible purposes. And sometimes we don't know the purposes. We don't understand. We can't see the end from the beginning like God can. See, from our perspective, it's impossible to see right now the amazing masterpiece He is creating in and through our lives. And when we're going through this hard, these hard times, these days of total devastation, we've all had them and we all will have them. It's in these hardest times when we cry out to God. We let out like just a scream from within. We might not vocalize it, but we're all saying the same thing and it's a one word prayer, cry. And we all know the word, it's why. Why? We cry out to God with that word. Why? And I've been there before, crying out, why? You can be a Christian all your life. You can be somebody who doesn't know the Lord, but we're all asking the same question, why? Paul helps us to understand that it's not up to us to tell God what to do with our lives any more than the clay in a pottery class can tell the potter, hey potter, make me into this. Do this with me. Can't do that. Romans 9, 21, Paul's trying to explain it. He says, does not the potter have the power over the clay? He can do whatever he wants with it. Whatever he wants. And the answer to that question is yes, of course. It's hard to understand this. It's hard to stomach this. There's something in us that kind of wants to rebel and say, but wait, God. God has a right to do with us as he pleases. But we have to be the ones who are trusting that God is in total control. And it's all going to be something beautiful that he's working on in the end. Can you trust God with that? Are you going through something today? Could be a small trouble. It could be one that you're totally devastated. Can you trust God today that he's in control? That it's going to work out to something more beautiful than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. That God has your good purpose, his good purposes in mind. See, God is sovereign. And I think we lose that a lot nowadays. We don't think that. God is in control. He knows what's going on. We look at all the bad news around the world and we're thinking, God, have you lost it? Have you just turned your back on us? This thing is spinning out of control and fast. It's not the case at all. God has always been in control. God will always be in total control with complete power over all things, complete wisdom in all things. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand, especially when we're in those days of trouble. Is it okay to question God, you ask? Is it okay to bring up questions or concerns or even complaints to Him? What do you guys think? Yes, it is. It is. You see it there. Even within the book of Job, you see it through the whole Bible. People are totally honest with God. God is a big boy. He can take anything that we're going to take, throw at him. He knows where we're coming from, right? 
The Bible shows us that we can be honest with God and tell Him everything that's in our hearts. When we're confused, when we're upset, or even when we're left without any faith at all. Going back to the book of Job, you know, reading that, you're, you're thinking, how could God, I don't understand, how could God let the devil do that to him? Did Job deserve any of that? No. He was an honest, he was an upright man. The most righteous man in all of that area. Right? And you want to just say, God, wasn't there a better way? You know, look at all the suffering that was caused to him. Look at all the suffering that was caused to his family. Were they innocent? Yes. This man and his family didn't deserve it. And Job's wife and his friends, they're giving him the best human counsel they can give him. You know? And you see that. We have a lot of friends that come to us and give us great counsel and try to help us. Sometimes the counsel's good. And you see a lot of the friends, if you go through the book of Job's 42 chapters, and it's a poetic book, it's a beautiful book, and you start to see some of his friends' advice was good. Wow, these guys are awesome. Then you start to see, these guys are terrible. Same thing, right, with us, with our friends and ourselves as well. We can give good advice, we can give bad advice. But it's honest advice, wasn't it? It was where they were at. Job, turn your back on God. Job, you must have did something, some kind of sin hiding. You're hiding the sin, Job. What is it? That's why it happened. See, they're looking at it from their perspective. The perspective of clay. See, towards the end of the book, Job finally has a direct conversation with God. And God gives Job, and he gives us insight into not the clay's perspective, but the other side of it. The potter's perspective. He says this in Job 34. He says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, Job? Tell me, if you have any understanding. Goes on to say, Who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? You see, I created the universe. Who shut the sea who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, Job? Did you do that? Is it by your wisdom, Job, that the hawk soars and spread its wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes its nest on high? Job, who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? He's telling him, who he is. He's telling Job who he is. The answer is, of course, God. God is God and we are not. See, we have a certain degree of wisdom God has given us. Thank God. You know, but not anything in comparison to the wisdom of God. When trouble comes, we cry out for an answer. We want to know why these things are happening. Why, these, why do we have to suffer? But there's a limit to our wisdom. There's a limit to our understanding. And never, ever, ever in this lifetime, and I don't know even in the next, are we going to have the ability to comprehend all of God's ways. Why God does what He does. 
See, we can voice our complaints to God, have questions to God, but it doesn't mean that God is going to be responsible to give us an answer. We can't shake our fists at God. What about this? What about that? And expect and demand an answer. And that's where Job was going. And that's where all of us go. But Job says this. He's humbled. I'm going to skip to Job 42, verses 2 and 3. Says, Job says, I know that you can do all things, God, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me that I didn't know. Job is just getting to that point where he's spending time with God. He's coming into his presence and he sees God is God and I am not. And I had questions, yes. But I'm starting to understand my place and your place. You can do all things, God. No purpose of, your, purpose can be, of yours can be thwarted. I have uttered what I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Maybe you're somebody here today who has been angry at God. Maybe you're somebody today who has questions and you can't forgive him for something. God wants you to know, you know what? I'm just going to lay it down at, you, you can lay it down at my feet. You can come to me with questions. But when you spend time with me and you start to see who I am, those questions are going to start to disappear, become smaller and smaller and smaller. See, God changed Job's perspective, didn't he? And you know what? He can change ours. As we go through times of trouble, our darkest days, we have to learn to trust that God is sovereign. Don't forget it. He's in total control, even if it means that we're not going to find out all the answers to our questions. Number four, and this is our last point, says God uses all things for our benefit. God uses all things for our benefit. You know the verse, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Does it say some things? All things. Does it say all the good things? Does it say, you know what? Everything except for that one thing that happened to me? No. All things. Everything. Okay? Uh, the other, um, uh, what was it, Thursday and uh, Friday, uh, we had such a treat at our children's uh, elementary school, Lanikila Elementary School in Diliha. And I've talked about it, what all the good things God is doing there. We had a artist come, and his name is Hilton Alves. He's painted the big pipeline wave and uh, Waikamilo, Kalihi. It's the biggest wave mural in the world. Anyway, we've got him. It was like amazing. Uh, our, my good friend, Chris Kanimura, uh, who invited Fumi from Nigeria. Uh, he picked her up. Let's welcome Fumi. Thank you for coming such a long way. Anyway, my friend Chris, he, um, knows, um, he knows everyone. Everywhere, obviously. And he knows uh, this artist. He brought him in. We got him to paint this beautiful mural. And um, first day, Hilton Alvis comes. Big assembly, rock star, mirrorless. Yeah! All the kids are pumped. Guess what? It's pouring rain. We try to paint. We're trying to paint. Don't show that next picture yet. But he's just trying to paint. And it's like, oh, man, this is not going to get done. We're wasting all this time. He just goes up there. It's just running down. And we're thinking, this is going to you know, not work out. Maybe we've got to reschedule it. 
But you know what? We're just Chris and I praying, God, move, this, move the clouds that way, a little this way, please, God. Nope, nope. All the way to the afternoon, first time they could get some paint up on the wall. Let's go ahead and show them the next picture. Look at what happened. Look at what turned out. But at the beginning of the Thursday morning, all the way up into that afternoon, everybody's panicking. Everybody's thinking, oh, great, this is not going to work out. But look at the beautiful thing that it ended up. It's a masterpiece. It's amazing. What's cool is you can't really see it uh, right now because of the lights and everything. But at the bottom, all those fish beneath the turtle and everything, he let the kids come and paint those, some of those. And every class got to do five or six fish. So it was like a partnership. And just such a blessing. A beautiful work of art. And you know, he does it all freehand. And you're thinking, this guy's, you know, God is so good. He can just give people gifts. And they just create these beautiful masterpieces. See, same thing with a puzzle. I just went and um, there was in the children's ministry, they have a bunch of puzzles over there. Um, borrowing this. Remind me to drop it off when I leave. Or there's going to be one short. It's like a <laughs> picture of a, an English countryside or something. But you would never be able to tell by looking at your one puzzle piece, right? Could you ever, somebody give you a piece? Figure it out. Uh. And that's what, like, we're going through. We have a piece of the puzzle. And what we're going through, all of our pain, these times of trouble, we're trying to figure out the whole mural from a single piece. Sometimes you feel like you're at the beginning, day one, and it's raining, and it's never going to get completed. There's no chance. But you know what? Continue. Trust God. Continue to walk with the Lord and believe that God uses all things for your benefit. See, God has your best interests at mind. He's going to use everything, including the bad things, for your good. To bless you. God created you. He blew life into you. He formed you like clay. He loves you. And he gave you his one and only son, Jesus, to prove it. To come and save you. I'm going to go ahead and read the last chapter of Job. You can turn with me there. It's interesting to say, like I said earlier, it was all about the numbers. Very important in the book of Job. God's trying to make a point. Job 42 verse 12 says, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep. First chapter, he had 7,000. So it what? Doubled. 6,000 camels. Doubled. 1,000 yoke of oxen. Doubled. And 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Is that double? No. It's the same. Why is that? I'm not sure. I have a, you what? Yeah, 20 kids. He didn't want to do that to Job. He was blessing him. Not that much. Yeah, I suspect. This is just a suspicion. I think it's, you can't really, it's, it's, not a, it's hard to even talk about replacing children. It's a little bit different with children, right? Your daughters. Verse 14. Sorry, verse 16. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. 
And so he died. Old and full of years. You know what I take this last chapter to mean? Grace. God's grace. You know like the cherry on top of the cake. God didn't have to do it, but he did. See, God doesn't have to do anything in our lives. But because he loves us, he uses all things for our good. He gives us grace. If you're here this morning and you're somebody, you know, you're going through a hard time, God is going to get you through that hard time. He's going to be with you. And he's going to give you grace. You're going to come out of it even better than you were to start with. Closer to God. More full of faith. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what happened in Job's life? For 2 Corinthians 12, 9, as we finish, Paul wrote, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Dwell on that. God's power is made perfect in you through your what? Weakness. Through your days of trouble through your darkest days. See, God's plan for you is perfect. And in these times, these dark days, Jesus will be with you. And his power and his glory and his grace will shine through you. Look at what he did in Job's life. He's done it in my life. And he can do it in your life too. He'll make your life, the good and the bad, his masterpiece, his best work yet. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Would you stand with me? Let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we just say thank you, God, that you are the master potter. Lord, and you are forming us into something more beautiful than we can imagine right now. Because from our perspective sometimes, Lord, it's hard. We don't understand. But you allow us to come to you with questions. And you give us, most importantly, your presence to walk us through our hard times. And grace. Grace that there's going to be awesome days ahead, that you're going to use this for our benefit, that you're going to make something beautiful out of it. And that's all grace, all because of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. If there's anybody here today who has never said yes to Jesus, Jesus, I want to receive you into my life. Jesus, I want to say yes to you. I just ask that with every eye closed today right now, just that somebody would feel comfortable and somebody would really make a decision. Just put your hand up and say, yes, Jesus, I want to receive you this morning for the first time. And maybe if there's somebody here that is going through a really, really tough time and they want to just say, God, I really need you right now. I need your presence. Jesus, I need your grace in my life. Just raise your hand to God. Maybe you're battling some kind of a sickness. Maybe you're going through some family problem. Maybe a, a financial problem and it's overwhelming. Just raise your hand. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we just see all these hands, people's hands raised, Lord, and their hearts. Lord, you can see into our hearts because you formed us. 
And Lord, I just pray for every single person here that you would bless them, Lord, that you would continue to encourage them, that you would let them know that you're with them, that you'll never leave them or forsake them because you created them and you love them. Lord, we look forward to God, the testimony of what you're going to do. We look forward to how you're going to use this day of trouble in their lives, in all of our lives, Lord. We ask that you would continue to help us to trust you as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, and we all said, Amen. Amen. Amen.